0: Life is not just about being happy. It's about understanding how to navigate all the other emotions that are a natural part of life. And so building that emotional awareness, building that connection of being able to recognize like this emotion or this energy within me feels like frustration. It feels like disappointment. Oh, I feel a little uncomfortable around this person or their energy doesn't match with mine. All that awareness and that discernment and giving them language and giving them the skills, it's a practice. And so we're giving them the space of speaking their feelings, just seeing what's happening in the world. So many more parents are talking about inclusion and diversity and racism and all these different things. It's like going beyond and understanding the story. When we talk about hurt people, hurt others, is like, We're really teaching them to go deeper and to cultivate what empathy and understanding and listening and emotional awareness really looks like.
1: We welcome you to explore the third place with us.
2: It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, empowering, and engaging dialogue
1: you will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations.
2: Thank you for listening.
1: We invite you in to the third place.
2: Hurt people hurt people. This powerful and profound phrase holds so much truth. When you are a victim of any form of trauma and you have the healing and ability needed to step back and look at the person who caused you pain, you can often find that the hurtful behavior patterns that someone exhibits stem from pain that another person had caused them earlier in their lives. We asked Tejal to join us today to specifically talk about narcissistic behaviors and how these negative behavior patterns could be broken. Tejal is the host of the Time and Talks podcast and author of the Mom's Choice Gold Award winning book, Meditation for Kids, 40 Activities to Manage Emotions, Ease Anxiety, and Stay Focused. And she is a motivational speaker. Her doable approach to family meditation and mindful healing meltdowns, (laughs) yours and your kids, sets her apart from the traditional self-help crowd and makes her a go-to expert for modern parents who want to nama-slay, stress, snap less, and raise mindful kids too. Tejal, welcome to the third place.
1: Well, bringing on today's guest has literally been months in the making. I don't know if you know that or not, Tejal, but when I first found you, I was so motivated not just by your work, but your grounded and fun energy, which is a very, very rare combo to have. So thank you
0: for being here today. Thank you so much for having me here. It's such an honor, and I'm really very blessed to be here with you guys. So we brought you on because we want to discuss
1: a part of your story that has to do with being in relationship with others who are narcissistic. We really feel like this is an experience that many of us have had, whether it's with a friend, a family member, a partner. Um, Sometimes we recognize it. Many times we don't. And it's a confusing, painful, oftentimes dynamic. And just to start, can you share how narcissism has prevented in your life who was that with and at what age you were able to really recognize those behaviors as narcissism
0: yeah so it's funny as a child my the relationship is my mother and as a child obviously you're not aware of what narcissism in is like your mother or your parent is like the highlight of your world right they're the center you put them on a pedestal and so looking back A lot of what I felt as a child, I thought this was normal. I thought normal families were in a relationship where the mother is emotionally volatile, that the relationship is that you're constantly walking on eggshells and uh, relationships are all about like not speaking your truth and not being able to say how you feel because you want the other person to feel okay and you want that person to be happy so you swallow and you don't talk about the things that bother you. I just thought that was normal because that's what I had seen. That's what was modeled to me. That's what my survival mechanism had become, just living in a heightened state of trying to constantly be aware of what my mother's emotional state was by her footsteps, by the tone of her voice, by how the pots were going into the the um sink. Is it slamming it or is it calm? Like all these things I just my brother and I just became very visually aware of what her emotional state is. And almost like understanding that, okay, the volcano is starting to brew. Mm. I can feel the intensity and you feel that the energy is starting to get a little denser and a little bit more heavier. And then this emotional explosion would happen. And so as I grew up and had become a little bit more aware, like when I was 8, 9, 10, I started to overthink should I say this? I would think 10 times before I said something or I didn't say something and overanalyze, like, how is this going to be perceived? And I thought that this is what humans do. I thought this is what we do in relationships. And these patternings had become a part of me. So then I became a teenager. Then I was in my 20s. And I realized these patterns were manifesting in my romantic relationships. They were manifesting with my friendships. And as I saw my friends and saw the dynamic with their parents and their moms, I'm like, hmm, this is not normal. This is not how a normal, healthy relationship and dynamic works. Uh, so for me, it was really until I became an adult that I even was aware of what the word narcissism or what the relationship dynamic was even, that it was even something that um, wasn't unhealthy, that it created this patterning within me of distrust, of lack of ability to be honest and communicate and knowing how to even feel emotions and express emotions. So I would say that when I went on my own personal spiritual journey um, in my late 20s is when I even realized that I was in a dynamic where my mother was so-called the narcissist. And I hate using labels, but it is like everything that I read when I saw this, like this tick marks everything that my mother kind of her personality was. And so that's how it manifested and that's the relationship that's kind of been the undercurrent of my whole life yeah
1: you start to like notice that maybe you're attracting a vibration that you don't even at first recognize but clearly the patterns start to show up in your life
0: yeah yeah yeah. It was a little scary because I felt like I was modeling the narcissistic relation yeah. that in my romantic relationships. Like I had sort of embodied some of those traits, which is my red flag. Mm. Well,
2: and that's exactly what I was going to ask you. You said it was presenting to others in dating, in your friendships. You know, was it you becoming a narcissist? Or were you attracting other narcissists and, I don't know, enabling that kind of relationship around you?
0: For me, I really did feel in my romantic relationships early on, I was taking on those tendencies of, like, emotionally manipulating, like, my partner into... Like fulfilling my needs, like I being so insecure that I was putting that on someone else, like my self worth was starting to be dependent on you fulfilling my expectation. And that was the big red flag of first, I don't know how to communicate what I'm feeling. Second, it's a form of manipulation that exactly was done to me that I thought. That was how you get what you want in relationships is being overly emotional and being dominating and aggressive. And so when I went on my personal, I used to be a divorce attorney. So I used to be in the midst of conflict as well. Um, so when I was feeling this like angst of like intensity of energy and emotions, and I've always been a very energetically sensitive, empathic person from a young age, but That started there. There was a lot of anxiety and inner turmoil that was presenting itself, which made me turn inward and then started that journey of awareness of my own ego and my own patternings of how I had absorbed that.
2: That's super fascinating to me that you would have that empathy, too. Like, that seems like almost even more of a toxic dynamic to a relationship with narcissism. By being empathic, you're naturally that much more heightened around all of the emotions to someone who needs more emotion or is manipulating emotion, right? So, gosh, I I mean... It, so as as you started to understand the dynamics in your early 20s, you probably didn't even know to create then boundaries mm-hmm. in your formative teenage years, that would have been really helpful.
0: Absolutely. You know, I'd have to say that the empathy part came first because I came to a place where I realized that through my spiritual journey of just turning into my own power and realizing, learning how to express emotions, I realized I think the empathy part came first. And then the boundaries, I have to be very honest, it's still a growing process for me. Because even though my viewpoint and how I handle the situation and how I handle and I'm very aware of the energy discrepancy of when I'm in the presence of my mother, I have changed. But for a long time, you feel like the expectation that the other person should be acknowledge their point of view or the expectation that they should change. And I've finally gotten to the place, I would say a couple years ago, is that of this acceptance of you changing is what the journey is about. You can't expect the other person to shift their behavior. And so I think the boundary part is still something that I'm Constantly, every single time I think that I'm with my – in my mom, I'm learning a new dynamic of how to set firmer, clearer boundaries without absorbing that energy, without being triggered. Um, So it's an ever-growing process, I feel like, for me. I've noticed a theme
1: in a lot of people that have a parent that is a narcissist. I can relate to that. My my father being one and the children, or if not all – most of them being highly empathic which i thought has been and and i've always been like is it the chicken before the egg thing it's like does the empathy come from the mm-hmm. ability to really be matching or complementing the narcissistic behavior or is it that it's born out of it i know it's probably both i mean we're in the third place so it's always it's always both but um but I've just noticed that there's a theme there and that likely what happens over time, especially as you maybe innately had this empathy, but you came back to it or came back to that awareness of it because at first you were just really modeling what you were seeing and it's a survival tactic. Then you could go back to what I like to really refer to as your original nature mm-hmm. and that there, there's a... It's just an interesting thing to me that the two tend to coexist often.
0: Yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I've found through the discernment of talking to other people who've been in this dynamic is that almost that whether we realize it or not, and I think you had to definitely come to this place, is that. Everyone has some sort, like each soul has some sort of relationship like this where there is such a contrast because our souls come here to grow and evolve. And we need that very different, challenging, heavier, narcissistic energy to bring out that empathic side. Like you said, the true nature of every single one of us in some capacities, is empathetic. Some of us are more sensitive and receptive. Some of us are on the journey of honing that skill. Some of us may not even think that we're empathetic, but we are in some shape or form. So I feel like we all have that dynamic of somebody in our, and, and it's because we were meant to have that because that's what pushes our soul. That contrast is what pushes our soul to grow and to learn how to set boundaries and to learn how to cultivate empathy and compassion.
1: Yes, totally. And it doesn't have to be as extreme as narcissism, because I think that there's been two things that I've learned about narcissism when it really is diagnosable narcissism. Well, first of all, there's kind of like compassion that can come from that, because I've noticed that the, their ability to access or express love is limited. And that, that, can, that, that was compassion giving for me. I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't make it any easier, though, being a child, because, you know, you're looking for love, acceptance, to be seen, all of those things. So that doesn't translate until you come through the fire a little bit. And I'm wondering, in your experience with someone that is really probably more diagnosable on that spectrum of narcissistic behavior, at first, how was love experienced earlier on? And how have you been able to reconcile or recognize when she's having an act of love? Because I think that there's usually a unique way of expressing that with these behaviors.
0: Yeah. I think, um, just even the acceptance of that, you know, we, especially with mothers, you think that mothers have unconditional love. And the reality is we're all human beings. And what I had experience was very much conditional love is that when her needs were met, that's when she was able to be in a space to be kind and compassionate. And she definitely had that side to her where she was caring. She obviously like, you know, didn't neglect us all, you know, like, but there was a part of her that was I can say because I know like where this kind of patterning came from now and doing the reverse engineering of like how this happened to her is that, you know, there was a part that she experienced in her life, um, an experience that Broke her and broke her ability to love herself. And Mm -hmm. that's why there's a constant needing for validation outside of us. Seeking of power and dominion in order to feel loved. So it's like, just as a child, like you said, we have, as human beings, those innate needs to feel seen, to be validated, to be heard, to be understood. And as a child, you can't understand, you know, maybe when those needs are not being met, we can't fully understand and process why those needs were not being met. But as an adult, going on the journey is like also understanding that it's the journey of a a human being to learn how to validate, love, accept, build self-worth is the foundation of what when we talk about spiritual journey, that's where it all stems from. So when we start giving that to ourselves, then I think the lens of being able to be empathetic and compassionate and be loving to that person of like, as you said, like that Part of your heart opens of like, I see that something happened to you. Like, I think as a parent or as a mother, like when you hold your child, you get that visceral experience of like, every soul comes into this world blank, innocent, beautiful. And even our parents, exactly the same way when their parents held them were like the same essential uh, experiences that we feel when we hold our baby that And I looked at my mom, like I envisioned in my meditation, like my mom, like holding her as like that innocent, pure child. And at some point something had happened to her that made her forget that she is this divine, beautiful soul and started to seek this need to control outside of her. And, you know, it wasn't an overnight process. Like I say it now with an understanding, but it was a very deep understanding of like how the challenges and traumas in our life, how they manifest for us, but also, you know, how, especially with narcissism in particular, it's the lack of uh, self worth within themselves is what's being projected out. Mm-hmm. And that was eye opening, I feel yeah. like, for me.
2: Well, and I think the way you said it, like, the, just even. Saying out loud, like a love that was conditional really helps me to understand narcissism and even reflect on other past relationships easier. That, that verb is, is just, I think, very, very helpful. To me, as I relate to some of my relationships of those that would have narcissistic tendencies, it was always in this mentorship state. And I can think of a couple that felt they like were, i was they
1: were a mentor to you
2: yeah so mm-hmm. there was there seems like there is
1: a power dynamic a
2: power dynamic right and and that maybe that's part of the conversation but there's a couple that come to mind where they fought through maybe some of the tendencies but it, there was almost like this transition where i was becoming old enough where it was no longer this power dynamic where it was a little bit more equal so hearing a little bit of your story and the age that you transition into being able to name it and again like everything that you just said about the empathy of wait a minute this person was a blank slate too there's hurt here and therefore like there's pain that evolved from that hurt too to you but you're now in this stage of What I'm hearing, a a bit of becoming equal. You're (laughs) your own mom now. Like, you are a mother. And so... Yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a dynamic that feels shifting in that way as well, where you're equal to your mom in some ways.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for me in particular, like uh, I'll be this is like a very personal thing, but I feel called to share it is that, you know, personally in my life, this was always a very interesting experience personally in my life in this lifetime. I've never experienced any sort of like sexual abuse or Mm -hmm. sexual harassment or anything. I feel very blessed that I could say that up until this point, nothing has like that has ever happened to me. But within me, I had always had this fear or this like trauma. And, And I couldn't understand of like, this never physically in my reality happened to me, but this lived within me. And For me, it was like in my 30s, like I said, like I had this vivid meditation, like I had, I was like, I want to understand where this patterning is coming from with my mom. And this vision came through to me of like what had happened to her. And I was like, you know what? And we don't talk about these things in our family or anything like that. But there was something that was pushing me that in a very, like, calm, vulnerable state. I was like, Mom, did this ever – like, I just had this vision in my meditation. Like, did this ever happen to you? And there was, like, pin-drop silence and this, like, recognition of, like, yes, this happened to me. And in the South Asian culture especially, you do not, like, speak about – Anything like this. I could feel like, and I, I kind of pinpointed it together as like it happened in her early twenties, um, right before she got married. She was in an arranged marriage and, you know, and then she got, like, she, then she was like, got married to someone who was a complete stranger who was, my, who is my dad. But this horrific act happened to her and you never spoke, she never spoke about it. She could never, like, and so that to me was another big call of like, I think not just for my mom, but for me as a human being of like, you can never judge someone by their worst actions or how they're like presenting themselves or like if they're like an angry person or, you know, whatever those tendencies may be, there is some underlying, whether it's a trauma or an abuse or something has happened to them to create that patterning. It doesn't just show up one day and be like, hey, this is the choice that I'm going to make. And so that was a huge awareness, I think, for me as an individual of not just my mom, but like other human beings. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I used to be a lawyer and my closest friend in law school, she was a uh, public defender. And we would always get into this heated like conversations. Like I was very black and white that like, okay, if you committed a crime, then you need to get X. Ex- and she always gave me the other side. But I know that's like a really extreme thing, but it really did. It made me think, very differently about when you look at people and you're like, Oh, they're a bad person because they made a bad choice. No, there's a series of things that we don't know about their story that has caused them to create such pain, anger, animosity for them to, to act like that or to, to be and make those types of choices. So, um, that
1: oh, man. was a big thing. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, I have like so many things that come up for me. First of all, um, just this idea of generational trauma. And like, I've met a few people where they've had a miscarriage prior to having a child and that that child sort of carries some of the trauma from the preceding miscarriage. And I think that that's like a very easy way to explain generational trauma to people. Like, oh, you can think about truly the physical energy that of transfer that happens. But what you experienced, I think, is so profound too. And that it also really inspires me to share with other people that a lot of us are able to break these generational traumatic patterns and that it doesn't have to be... It. For your mom, it was, you know, capital T trauma, like one very, maybe more, but for sure one very specific horrific event. And then for you, that ended up translating to lots of little t traumas that no matter what, they translate in the same way to our bodies and that you are able to actually do some work and you are capable to reconcile some of that. And otherwise, it sort of just passes on from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And I want to ask you, because I think this is a lot of the work that you're really doing, is how can we not simply hand down our trauma right and i think that usually with narcissism a byproduct is that it does or or even addiction i mean you name it a lot of things you end up just mirroring the same stuff and you were able to recognize that early on clearly we've talked boundary setting but like what are other ways that you've been able to start to put an end to that cycle and sort of reframe or or transform that
0: yeah. And I think it really for my work specifically, because like, as you guys know, I teach breath work and meditation and blending that with the science of Ayurveda, of understanding how stress manifests in our body. Ev, I think that for me, my work, and I do, like, I do work with children and my, a lot of my expertise because I was a child who experienced this, because I was a child who the anxiety manifested because of, like, as you said, like little, little traumas of these experiences. For me, my work has really been of, like, understanding, like, you know, therapists, which are amazing. I really highly recommend therapists. But therapists, like, help you talk about your story and help you, like, dissect that. For me, my goal is that understanding that when you're feeling anxious or when you're feeling Angry or frustrated, like those emotions that ride up within us because of these patternings, because of like the, the experiences that we have every day, um, is of understanding like how different breath work starts breaking through these emotions and how breath work can help us, like even on a daily level when it's acute stress or the chronic stress that we carry from like our childhood or maybe even like past lives, but like how to break that down and an energetic level. So, not so much like just talking about the story. is like acknowledging the story, like not minimizing the story, but understanding of like how those that energy manifests in our body. Like how is it coming up? How does that emotion feel? Because there are breathworks, there are specific yoga postures that will move the energy out so that we don't get consumed in that pressure and that stress state where that pattern, when we talk about the cycle not continuing, it's just not the words that we say, it's also breaking that energetic patterning of those emotions within our body. And so that's really helping adults kind of break through that, but also building that foundation in children of like understanding, like, this is the emotion, this is the intensity that it's bringing in my body. Let me feel it, not, uh, you know, not repress it, allow it to come up. And this is going to help me ride through that energy. Um, So that's been, I feel like, a game changer. I, like I mentioned before, the self-worth work, I think that's where the foundation of it really begins. And then empathy and the compassion and boundaries, like I said, is like, that is like my ongoing journey of like learning how to, mm-hmm. um you know, I've become so much better as like being intuitively aware of like when I meet someone for the first time, you can feel their energy and not, it's not a judgment. It's just a discernment of like, is this aligned? Is this not aligned? And that's that journey of like also being around my mom now is like, okay, I can feel her energy without absorbing it and without taking it in and without um taking it personal or, you know, taking the things that she's saying. So it's a I think it's like a couple prong approach of like the growth, but that's really been my greatest skills and like my awareness from this experience.
2: You know, the phrase not judgment, but discernment, I I think really speaks so much to uh, much of this conversation, to the work of the third place, like your experiences with your your other friend who was a lawyer. Not seeing this dualistic black and white and cut and dry, but really going deep into the story, into the nuance. And then that's where you can tap into the empathy. I mean, it's just beautiful. I think just beautiful work and a beautiful way to say all of that. We touched on like, you know, so clearly hurt people hurt people. Right. And I think so much of your work then is with kids and trying to break these patterns what do you do to recognize it on early? How do you work with children? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to imagine a scenario where it's a, a narcissist that has a significant role in their life that may or may not be that parent figure. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a way to empower uh, a a child at that formative eight, nine, ten when you started? How do you see that? How do you recognize that? What what do you do if you find yourself in that situation with kids um, since you do so much work with kids?
0: Yeah. So I think one thing for sure is, and I work with, you know, children between the ages of four to 10 predominantly, the children that are being born now are just so energetically in tune, maybe even more so than we were, you know, and that is a gift in itself because they if given the opportunity, can sense out people's energies and they're keenly aware of it. Like if you see, you know, like they there are certain people that are around that they just feel not called to, their energy changes, their behavior changes. So I think the one thing is that the involvement of the type of children that are being born right now are just much more energetically sensitive. Um, so our job as as support systems, whether we're teachers or grownups or uh, parents, is really to hone that skill. And so I think that awareness really begins by tuning in, supporting, validating, understanding the emotions. Because I've talked to people from so many different cultures and backgrounds and it seems like there's an undercurrent of like a lot of us were not modeled and taught how to like respectfully and constructively express your feelings or have the safe space of anything that's like uncomfortable is like you put it under the rug or you don't do that it's not acceptable behavior and I think for us is like normalizing that yes like life is not just about being happy it's about understanding how to navigate all the other emotions that are a natural part of life and and so building that emotional awareness, building that connection of being able to recognize like this emotion or this energy within me feels like frustration. It feels like disappointment. Oh, I feel a little uncomfortable around this person or their energy doesn't match with mine. I think all that awareness and that discernment and giving them language and giving them the skills, it's something that yes, we are born with, but it's a practice. And so I think we're giving them the space of speaking their feelings. And like, also, I think, just seeing what's happening in the world, so many more parents are talking about, you know, inclusion and diversity and racism and all these different things. I think it's like all playing into a part of understanding and accepting others beyond just what they look like. It's like going beyond and understanding the story. And so when we talk about hurt people, hurt others, is like we're really teaching them to go deeper and to cultivate what empathy and understanding and listening and emotional awareness really looks like. So I think there's A lot of beautiful new practices and awarenesses that are happening. And then, of course, like for me, like the breath work is such an important thing of like helping children understand your breath is such a powerful gift to regulate yourself and to help you feel peaceful and safe and calm. And I think teaching them about safety within their body and not seeking it outside of them is one of the greatest gifts that we can give them at a young age.
1: Yeah, I think like truly this, it feels like there's a large generational shift happening with these children that are coming into the world. And oftentimes we hear, you know, oh, there's a lot of heightened sensitivity. And I would consider my boy to be one, but I don't think that I'm very unique, honestly, in that I think a lot of parents that I speak to with similar age kids, it's like there's a lot of sensitivity. And I feel like that sensitivity is a gift because what's happening is their um, emotions are getting called on in a, a, a more often, more frequently. So it's literally demanding that we have to look at ourselves and our actions more frequently because we're any little thing, what, what maybe would be dubbed as any little thing, is charging our children because of this heightened sen- sensitivity. But really, I think that this is allowing for more conversation, more emotional awareness, more opportunity to really plug into our internal resourcing and I mean what better thing than our breath. Absolutely. One of the things that I also just want to mention is when we first got to speak, you do such hyper custom personalized work with breathwork. I mean, I like you're very unique when it comes to what you're offering and and your gift and so can you just touch on really quick like a little bit more of what I mean by that because I think it's really creative and then also where can people – find you and connect with you?
0: Yeah, sure. So for me, um, as a certified uh, yoga meditation and Ayurveda expert, I try to blend the sciences between Ayurveda and yoga and breathwork together. And so what I mean by that is in Ayurveda, it's showed that, you know, we have three different types of stress responses that we have, emotional, mental, and physical. And so when we think about like, oh, going to a yoga class or taking deep breaths, it's not this like blanket, like, like just generic, like just take a deep breath in and out. There are different types of breath work when you're anxious versus when you're angry versus when you're feeling sad or disappointed or that lower energy that you need to do to rebalance your energy in your body to feel whole, balanced, balanced. You know, alive and effective. And so for me, it's like really helping moms and dads understand quick awareness of like what needs to be balanced and then using breath work and using isolated yoga postures. You don't have to do like a 45 minute flow in order to find release and balance. It's just you have to do the right Exercises that's going to move energy in the right way, move your body in the way that energy needs to flow. And then meditation, you know, for there's specific meditations based on, you know, like if you're anxious, we do not want you to be sitting down quietly and trying to meditate because it's actually going to aggravate you a little bit more than, uh, you know, than if you would uh, meditate when you're in um, a different state of mind. So for me, it's really helping people learn a very modern approach to these different Eastern techniques that we've been accustomed to and really blend the science into our modern life. The easiest way for people to find me. So, I have my website, thejalvpatel.com. Um, I have a podcast called Time and Talks Podcast. I'm the author of the award winning book Meditation for Kids. So, if you're interested in building these breathwork and learning how to build these patterns, my guide is very much bringing the ancient science in a way that's fun and playful. So, parents can benefit when they do this with their kids because they're not just generic, fun, little quippy exercise. There's a science to it, but there's also presented in a really fun and approachable way. And then I'm very active on Instagram and my feed is Tejal V Patel. So that's how they can find me.
2: Yeah, this is so great. I mean, earlier when we were talking about generational growth, it just gave me so much hope and and all of your work is continuing to build into that hope. It's continuing to build into young lives, parent lives, to continue to further equip all the emotional intelligence but yeah just gives me so much hope for this generation that's coming up so uh, i think your work is very important and i really appreciate what you're bringing to all of us so thank you so much
0: thank you so much david that means so much to me
1: well this was great and like i just have to also tell our listeners like you have to go find her on instagram because she's also hilarious (laughs) (laughs) i i i've made david watch a few of your reels to be like just so you know she's really funny (laughs)
0: because life is all about balance right like i feel like sometimes like we think about stress it doesn't always have to be serious laughing is also very
1: therapeutic totally totally well thank you so much
0: thank you for having me be well
2: third place podcast is produced by podcast publishing house you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms Apple, Spotify. Also, check out the episodes on our website, ThirdPlacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ThirdPlacepodcast. There you can check out our weekly co host, Happy Hours, on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.